You're listening to Making Global Learning Universal, conversations about engaging diverse perspectives, collaboration, and complex problem solving in higher education, on campus, online, in local communities, and abroad. I'm your host, Stephanie Dosher, Director of Global Learning Initiatives at Florida International University and co-author of Making Global Learning Universal, promoting inclusion and success for all. And I think the campuses that are making the most progress, if you will, are the ones that are having a serious conversation, one, about what global learning is. So what does it mean in our context? What does it mean for our students when they leave our campus? What does it mean for our local community now? And so they realize that it is something that impacts the campus, the local community, as well as the broader community. Don Whitehead is vice president of the Office of Global Citizenship, for Campus, Community, and Careers at the Association of American Colleges and Universities, commonly referred to as AAC&U. We had the wide-ranging conversation you're about to hear in the perfect spot, a hotel conference room with an amazing view of the heart of Miami as a global crossroads. Dawn's role at AAC&U similarly puts her in a position to provide us with a broad view of our field, From her perspective, the process of global learning involves certain fundamentals, diverse perspectives, collaboration, complex problem solving, and local and global connection making. But she also says that campuses must make global learning their own. They must tailor their definition to their campus's unique context if they want to enable all faculty and all students to engage in their own unique ways. What's more, Dawn does a fantastic job of outlining the different ways various international professional organizations support global learning. Now, if you don't already know Dawn Whitehead, I promise you're going to want to know a lot more about her and her work by the end of this interview. Enjoy. (laughs) Here, we'll make sure. You good? Mm -hmm. You have a beautiful view, don't you? I do. This is very nice. Sorry. Well, what are you? Why are you sorry? Oh, because <laughs> you get the view. And I, I get the view, and you don't. <laughs> I know because I live in Miami, and I never yes. get this incredible view. So, so why don't you describe what you see right ah, now? This is a, a wonderful view. I, I'm not sure if it's Biscayne Bay that I'm seeing, but I'm seeing beautiful water and a bridge. I'm seeing a cruise ship that probably is loading folks. And then I'm seeing the the skyscrapers of downtown Miami and two things near and dear to my heart. One, I believe that's American Airlines Arena, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the Miami heat. Um, And then I see a wonderful sign for Broadway in Miami for Hamilton, the musical, something else (laughs) I love. So this is a wonderful view of the city, a great place to to be sitting for this interview. You know, it really is. Amazing. We'll we'll thank the the hotel for for providing this room for us, because this is truly the heart of Miami as a global crossroads. Mm-hmm. Um, nearby, which you may not be aware of, this Dawn is a place called the Miami Circle, mm-hmm. and it was discovered actually by a friend of mine when he was working as the archeologist of of Miami-Dade County. They were going to build this very large skyscraper right at the mouth of the Miami River. And before they could make the skyscraper, they, as they were clearing the land, they found 
post holes and they were spaced perfectly as if they were forming a circle. So they halted the, the construction, they halted things, and what they did was um, uncover these, these holes. And they found that this was uh, a Tequesta trading place. Wow. Yeah. And um, it, it was a place where they found materials that, you know, came from all over the Caribbean. So, so it was the, the kind of the earliest manifestation of Miami mm-hmm. as a global crossroads. And the extra cool thing about it is that nearby there is a, a street named after my family. Wow. <laughs> After a member of my family, Judge Milton Friedman, who is the singing judge. How <laughs> known appropriate. He was known as the singing judge. So, you know, my family has come from Eastern Europe yes. to here to Miami. So I have this, like, very personal feeling about um, the city, about yes. global crossroads, about global education. Mm-hmm. And this is also kind of a personal talk to me because... Um, you know, I'm so happy that the Global Learning Conference mm-hmm. of the Association of American Colleges and Universities is coming to Miami mm-hmm. in yes. 2020. Yes. And I think, as you said, what an appropriate location for this to come to a global crossroads. Yeah. And and knowing now that additional bit of history of, you know, the, the circle, was it mm-hmm. called the five? The circle? Miami the Circle. The Miami Circle. Thank you. I mean, that just to show the historical legacy that it's not just in the last 50 years or not just yeah. the last 100 years, but in, it's just, in those times. Like it's in yeah, our the, zeitgeist. Yes, exactly. And your sister lives here. Yes, she does. <laughs> so this <laughs> so it's, coming, it's, it's yes. all in the family. It's all in the it family. Is, yes. Listen, right on. Definitely a homecoming. <laughs> so, um, so that's what we're here for today. We're here in uh, December of 2019 talking about this conference that's going to be happening in October. Um, And so I kind of want to give a little bit of a background for our listeners about you, about the conference, about the work that AACNU does around global learning. Maybe we could start with like your position, because that's kind of transformed and evolved, Mm -hmm. you know, over the years, I think, especially in the past year. Maybe you could just share a little bit about you know, what is your title? What is your role within the organization? That would help. Okay, that sounds great. Um, so my title is Vice President of the Office of Global Citizenship for Campus, Community, and Careers. And it it is a shift, um, I think. It, it It's not a shift from the work that we were doing, but I think it elevates the importance of global citizenship and it elevates the importance of doing this work in a number of communities, doing it on campuses, and how it connects to the workforce for our students. Um, And so I think it signals to our members, it signals to people that come to our convenings that global citizenship and global learning are not just for certain students, but they're for all of our students. Mm -hmm. And And global learning is increasingly important for students in work, life, and citizenship. And it's something that we can't give them an option to opt out of. Mm. <laughs> um, and so I think that is the shift is to clearly articulating what this means. Most of us know and understand that global learning, I like to say, 
um, to the chagrin of some of my colleagues, is that global learning is one of the most powerful practices of liberal education. <laughs> I think when students engage in global learning, they are putting those skills of liberal education um, to use um, at the heart of global learning is problem solving, mm -hmm. is uh, applied learning, doing this in the field and pulling together knowledge, understanding from a range of disciplines and, and um, uh, experiences, both curricular and co-curricular. So I really think global learning is a powerful form of liberal education. That's important that you just articulated that because I, I think when we think about AACNU, mm -hmm. we think about it as being this foremost uh, voice mm -hmm. around the power of liberal education. Absolutely. Not just in the, in the Americas, but globally. And there's now been since, I think it was Shared Futures, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, and, and Kevin Hovland's work, mm -hmm. since, and even before, I mean, we can go back to, I think, was it Grant Cornwell who mm -hmm. wrote? Oh, yes. Yeah, so. And Eve Stoddard. Yeah. And Eve Stoddard. Mm -hmm. Yes. So going back into the 90s, there was this integration of uh, messaging and, and dialogue around what is the relationship between liberal education, mm -hmm. liberal learning, and citizenship, and mm -hmm. then the realization that we really can't talk about citizenship anymore without thinking about how it applies nationally in our interconnectedness mm -hmm. globally. Mm -hmm. So I, I know for me, AACNU's record and the literature that has come out of the organization has been absolutely fundamental to my um, evolution of to the evolution of my own thought mm -hmm. has been very very meaningful to me. I think of it as like kind of like like my home, mm -hmm. you know, in, uh, organization. So, and, and you're familiar that with making global learning universal, we have this certain these words that we use to describe the process of global learning. So, I think it it also behooves us to kind of talk about how does AACNU conceive of global learning? You know, what's the connection between um, kind of our definition, how AACNU is thinking about it? Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's important, so I'll, I'll give you that definition, but I think it's important to understand how it came to be. And so the definition of global learning that AACNU created was developed as part of the creation, if you will, of the global learning value rubric. So a number of academics were involved in the process, faculty, administrators, professional staff across the country came together to develop this definition. So you had an interdisciplinary group of people with different types of roles on campus. And that's how we came to this definition that global learning is a critical analysis of and engagement with complex interdependent global systems and legacies and their implications for people's lives and the earth's sustainability. So this definition that we have is one that you could apply in any discipline or any field. Um, it's one that we encourage institutions to consider and think about in their local context. And this definition may be the one that you ultimately decide to use, but you may decide there are factors that dictate a different definition at your own institution and that own institutional context. Um, so I think for me, you know, as you mentioned, prior to coming to ASU in this capacity, we drew on this definition, we drew on the materials, 
Um, and it really helped shape the work that we did when I was previously at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. But I think for us, this definition is one that shifts people away from global learning as I can name all the continents, I can name all the rivers in Southeast Asia, you know, so that people truly see it as an approach that is applicable across all majors and all fields. Yeah, and I think that's really where we have in common a couple of things. One is that there needs to be a process at any institution, whether that's a national institution advocating um, for global learning or um, any of our institutions individually in the US or abroad, we need to have a process that engages diverse people in thinking about mm -hmm. what is this gonna look like at our, at our institution. And then I think there are certain um, like common elements that I hear in AACNU's articulation of what global learning is in, in FIU's, and that is kind of the diversity of voices, the problem solving, the, the critical thinking. Um, and, and there's another, you haven't heard this episode yet, but I recently did an interview with um, the University of Michigan at Dearborn, mm -hmm. and they, kind of took sort of what they've learned from from AACNU because they're gonna use the value rubric for um, assessment. I believe that they're gonna be doing that. I know that they've certainly considered it and used it as an instrument. And they've also taken some stuff from 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 FIU and, and their own institution and they kind of made their own. And yet those same streams of diversity, collaboration, problem solving are within the approach. Mm -hmm. I think it's really uh, important to ha have a dialogue about that because when we think of the term definition, we think, well, that means that like that's the codified mm -hmm. way. Of, but when you when you in your work when you go to different campuses, what do you see happening mm -hmm. when when campuses are successfully integrating global learning into the things that they do. What what are the processes? How are they making things their own? Mm -hmm. I think you, you hit it on the head at the beginning when you talked about process. And I think the campuses that are making the most progress, if you will, are the ones that are having a serious conversation, one, about what global learning is. So what does it mean in our context? What does it mean for our students when they leave our campus? What does it mean for our local community now? And so they realize that it is something that impacts the campus, the local community, as well as the broader community. So they're thinking about the implications for their students and how they engage with local and global communities, if you will. Um, but if they don't go through that initial process of defining it, a lot of times they'll stumble because you'll have different schools, different departments having different perspectives on what global learning is. And it's very difficult to move forward if you don't have an agreed upon definition, mm -hmm. if you don't have an idea of what this means in our context. If you have some people on campus that think global learning is study abroad, other people that think global learning is area studies. Um, once you come together and have an idea of this is what it means in our context, that's when you start seeing institutions identifying ways to integrate this into opportunities for all students. Yeah. So not the optional, you know, not for the student that says, okay, I'm going to focus, you know, I, I'm really interested in Southeast Asia, so I'm going to take courses on that. But when it's truly embedded and integrated in the curriculum and the co-curriculum, so you've got your student affairs folks who are engaged in these conversations. I think that's when you see the real progress is when somehow it is integrated through learning outcomes. It could be through both curricular and co-curricular learning outcomes, but it's when there is a clear 
integration of global perspectives. It's great that it's in the mission statement, but if it isn't integrated into what students actually have to learn and be able to do, then we don't see as much progress on campuses. So I find that I spend a lot of times with institutions at different levels, some when they're just trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to define global learning? And we look at what other institutions are doing, peer institutions and non-peer institutions, mm -hmm. and say, okay, how would it look here? And some may say, you know, look, our community is very different from Miami. We don't have this, you know, we don't, we're not in this hotbed of activity. Totally, totally. You know, yeah. but we do have global learning here, and this is what it looks like in our context. Um, so I think that's the main thing. But then I work with other institutions where they've got everything defined. They just have to figure out how are we actually going to implement this so it touches all of our students, not just those that are in special programs or not just those that do a special capstone. And so I think that's the place where um, it's exciting mm -hmm. <laughs> to see how they are finding ways to integrate this for all their students, not just for a handful. Because that, you know, and you know, one of our missions at AACNU is equity as a foundation for higher education. That's right. And all students should have access to global learning. And I think when we get this integrated in the curriculum, that's when we see the, the biggest change. So really it's having a global learning approach to infusing global learning exactly. in, in the institution. And, and I, I kind of want to clarify and unpack what you just said mm -hmm. a little bit, because one of the things that you just said is if some people think it's study abroad and some people think it's area and language studies and some people think it's something else, mm -hmm. um, that can get us in trouble. Now, that's not to say that once we, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. that's not to say that once we develop or design our definition of global learning that will apply to our institution, that some can't choose to just do global learning through study abroad, right? Mm -hmm. like, like there might be a program, an academic program, mm -hmm. that would say, well, we feel it's very important for all of our students mm -hmm. to, we're gonna embed some kind of a study abroad experience for all of our students in our program. That may be how that program mm -hmm. is doing it. Absolutely. As long as everyone is figuring out their own way mm -hmm. to address that common definition. Exactly. You know, I think, for example, um, and I'm not, it, it, Arcadia University, for one, yeah. is an example of an institution that has study away or study abroad in exactly. some form for all of their students, I believe, during the first year, unless things have changed. Yeah. And so that's a commitment from the institution to say, this is what they're all doing. You know, as you said, it may be maybe you are working with a nursing program or maybe you're working with a global health program or a public health program and experiential learning is at the heart of what they do. And you're you say all of our students are going to have a global experience where they are leaving the campus and engaging in some form of global learning. Mm -hmm. It could be an internship. It could be a clinical placement. It could be in Cuba. It could be in our local community, but where that commitment is there. But mm -hmm. I think you're right. But to me, at the heart of this, it is usually based on learning outcomes mm -hmm. so that you can see, okay, what is it that I'm expecting students to do and how does that fit in my discipline or my field? So it can take different forms, but everyone should be in agreement on what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the, the, sometimes that's where the confusion can lie, where some may say, oh, at our institution, it's only COIL or it's only online collaborative learning. Yeah. No, it's only this. You have to spell out what the options are and the schools can interpret how this is going to operate in their in, in their space. 
Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. are the more successful, if you will, like the what the institutions that seem to have like an energy and a fire mm-hmm. around global learning, um, are those the ones where there are lots of options for people to kind of approach global learning from whether it's COIL or mm-hmm. study away or study abroad or internships? Or the- I think it is. And I, I think a lot of it is when it is embedded in student learning. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that again and again. Because it's but, that important. Right. Because, <laughs> right. Because if students don't understand why they're engaging in the practice, some of them will say, why am I even doing this? Mm-hmm. It, it has to be clear to them why you are doing this. And I think when it's embedded in the learning, when there are learning outcomes, when it collect, connects to the broader institutional mission, then that happens. But I think you may see students that are doing multiple. Some students may have a study away experience. Some students may do COIL in one course. Some students may have an internationally focused internship or undergraduate research experience. Mm -hmm. So they can have multiple opportunities. Um, And I think that's where we are seeing the most successes when institutions are saying, okay, we aren't just going to have this one box that they check. Yeah, (laughs) We're going to deeply embed this in the curriculum and let faculty decide how it works best in their course or in their department or school. And you know, it's it that's interesting about that, the transparency piece, because our global learning curriculum oversight committee, they've evolved in their own understanding as different members have come on board, as as all these members have seen so many different syllabi. They they over time, mm-hmm. and this was not at the beginning a thing, mm-hmm. but we have this checklist right? For all the components of what you have to have in a global learning syllabus at FIU. And we can connect to that in the show notes as well as the value rubric, all Mm -hmm. sorts of resources. Um, But one of the things that last year they said we have to have in the checklist is it actually evolved over a couple of years. We want in every single syllabus there to be boilerplate text. If it's a global learning designated course that will say, this is a global learning course that Mm -hmm. counts towards your graduation requirement. And also it had to have a separate section separately labeled global learning outcomes, global awareness, perspective and engagement, those course learning outcomes. So that Mm -hmm. every student sees that. Yes. You know, and it's partly because we want to make sure that any faculty that are inheriting a course syllabus, mm-hmm. they realize, oh, yeah, this is a global learning, you know, and then we get them into the fold of professional development, but for students. Right. Yeah. To realize mm-hmm. that. Exactly. So, so Dawn, how did you find your way to global learning? <laughs> I mean, how did you get to where you are in life? You're, I mean, you're a, a, a powerful scholar, a powerful intellectual, a powerful speaker about, I mean, but where did you get your start? How did you connect? Um, so you may laugh when I say this, but a lot of this started in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, and Indianapolis, Indiana has one of the world's best, and I'm not saying that because I'm from there, but one of the world's best children's museums. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, you know, it, every year it, it, it's, you know, it, it other external people say that, not just people from Indiana. And when I was in elementary school, they had a gallery called Passport to the World. And it was sort of the international gallery, if you will. And my mother signed me up for the culture club there. So every Thursday, I think it was, I would go for two hour sessions with other kids from around the city. We got to go into the gallery. We got to look at the collections. Um, Mm. We would go and have international meals or they would bring people in, experts. And that's really where a lot of it started is, I, you know, I already had the interest and my family went to international festivals, that kind of thing. But I think when I was in that culture club and we were looking at these objects from Mexico or these objects from China and other places, it really, really opened my perspective at an, at an early age. 
And so um, when I uh, taught high school, so I taught high school before going to grad school, um, I uh, developed our multicultural studies course at the high school. And I always had a global element to the multicultural studies course. I didn't focus on just domestic diversity. We looked at diversity globally. Um, and so when I, I, I always knew I was going to go back to grad school. And so I became aware of the field of international and comparative education. You know, originally I was going to do a history PhD, yeah. um, African history. Um, but it, you know, that was my, I was like, okay, I'll teach a few years to do this. Um, but when I learned about the field of international and comparative education, um, and I also did African studies, I was able to blend the two and I love African studies, but this, my desire to connect with other parts of the world, not just Ghana in particular. Yeah. Um, I think that also sort of strengthened. So I think like my childhood the, with the culture club, teaching and connecting my students with people from around the world, and then my own graduate school experience. Um, it, again, I, I spent a year doing dissertation research in Ghana, loved it. Go to Ghana every year, still love that. You have family. Th like you're familiar your ties are Ghanaian. Uh, no, no, no. This was, so those ties come strictly from the African diaspora. And there so you Du Bois, mm -hmm. you know, Du Bois moving to Ghana, many other, you know, once Nkrumah was elected, you know, Ghana became the sub of Pan-Africanism. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got interested in, mm -hmm. in Ghana was through that. Actually, that was during my undergrad, I did a thesis on mm -hmm. back to Africa movements. But as much as I adore and love the work that I do in Ghana, I see the connections among countries as even more powerful. Mm -hmm. And so that is what brought me into the global learning field. So when I was in grad school, um, I had a colleague who taught, she created a program and it was for international, uh, it was for undergraduate students from around the country. And she asked me to teach a course on international education, which of course fit with you know my, my, my grad work. And I, the first summer we taught it, um, we were in Cuba. And I had 35 students, and the students had the choice of international business, international education, and international leadership. The leadership was required. And so the students in my course, half were from the U.S. and half were from other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And it just affirmed to me that I wanted to do more than African studies. I want to do more than international education. And I saw the power of global learning, not just international education, but global learning as we see it now. Were you calling it that when you were seeing it? No, I was still yeah. calling it international education because we were still looking at systems. But when I was working with students and I had students, you know, a student from Croatia, a student from Kenya, a student from Miami, you know, who came on the program so she could see her family in Cuba yeah. and they were working together on projects. That is where I was seeing the global learning come alive yeah. because they were bringing different perspectives to problem solving. All of the students had to create a uh, some sort of entity that they would create or they would do some work after they left. So one of the students decided to create a similar program than what we had in Thailand and they actually helped the student run that program. And so that's where I think I saw a shift in my coursework where it was still international education, but it was more global learning. So I think that is sort of where I laid the foundations for this work. And then working at IUPY. Yeah. Under the brilliant leadership of Susan Sutton. Um, I think that is also where, you know, working in curriculum internationalization and looking specifically at global learning. You know, how am I helping my, my colleagues make those global connections? Yes. So beyond comparisons, beyond, you know, okay, we're going to do this comparative piece, but how are we going to look at student learning? How am I engaging, how am I engaging my engineering colleagues? How am I engaging my nursing colleagues? And what are the common threads? So I think that's sort of where 
you know, my the my development and honing of the skills of global learning and sort of that shift away from just African studies or just international education came about. I think what, so what you've described is this evolution of thought that I think is really the same kind of evolution that we're trying to grow in our students, yes. right? So we're thinking about this, we're thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about ourselves in relation to others, we're connecting with certain things. And um, there's this podcast, I'm going to connect to it in the show notes. I was just listening to it about, it was, it's from Radio Lab. I was telling you about it mm -hmm. before we started yes. our interview. And it's about basically the connection between Dolly Parton and globalization. Yes. And in it, <laughs> Dolly Parton just says this, she just says very, very passionately, sometimes you just see something or someone and you connect to it and you don't know why, you just know you do, you just know you know that thing, it's so familiar, you just connect to it. Yes. And you just described that like three different times. Mm -hmm. Like you saw all these things as a child. Mm -hmm. You saw Ghana, right? Like you yeah. connected to Ghana, it's not your familiar right. background, but you connected to it. You don't know why, but you followed that connection. And then it grew you into this next space. And then we, grow a more scholarly, right, understanding yes. of, of global education and interconnectedness. And, and then we have a new def, like we, then we, then we know you said, I knew it when I saw it, like yes. it, it was happening, but I wasn't calling it global. Yes. Then. Yes. But it was that connection mm -hmm. making. Mm -hmm. And now for me, I think you and I have actually kind of evolved in a, in a very similar place because since we've, been talking this morning before and during this conversation, the number of times that you and I have both said connect, connection, yes. connection making. Mm -hmm. I can't even count it's it. It's true. It's true. And I've gotten to the point where that's what global learning is. Mm -hmm. That's what learning is. That's what transformation and enlightenment is all about. It's all about this connection that's making. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I mean, I completely agree. It, it's like going from the... It, like a kind of a basic understanding that's limited to a much more complex mm -hmm. to kind of getting into that essence. Yeah. So there is a connection though that I'm not very clear about. And, and, I, and I think that this um, would be an interesting thing for us to dialogue around. So the term global learning is used quite a lot in higher education. And there are multiple professional organizations mm -hmm. that are doing work around this space. So we have AACNU, we have NAFSA, we have AIEA, the Association of International Education Administrators. Um, we have colleagues around the world who have EAI, I, I don't know, I'm yeah. probably messing that one up, <laughs> <laughs> IIE. So can you help me to understand like how, as professionals or people, that are working in institutions, like how would we decide, like where would we go? What is the mm -hmm. connection amongst these different organizations as they're thinking about mm -hmm. internationalization? And Right, so I, I mean, I always go back to what our mission is at mm -hmm. AACNU. And for us, we're the leading national association concerned with quality of education. Mm -hmm. So I think when people are thinking about student learning, mm -hmm. global learning is, is a form of that, but when they're thinking about the learning, that is when they would come to AACNU. So for example, the conference that we're here for the planning meeting is about global learning of all types. Um, so it could have elements of study away, study abroad, um, online interactive video conferencing. It has elements of um, 
high impact practices, you know, of course, global learning is one, but specifically undergraduate international research, mm -hmm. um, internships, community based global learning, all those kinds of things fall under the category of student learning. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what AACNU has to contribute. Yeah. Um, and I think all of our organizations are pretty complementary. So I think, as you mentioned, AIEA, they're doing a wonderful job of preparing and working with the senior leaders. Mm -hmm. So senior international officers, others in leadership, and how do you do this work systematically? Um, we have worked with AIEA to do workshops on global learning, to do workshops on what are the connections between global learning and domestic diversity mm -hmm. or you know diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, I think when you look at IIE, their work, I feel like, is the broadest and, mm -hmm. and perhaps the most different from what we do. Um, but one thing they do look at is opportunities for international engagement. Yeah. And so I think that connects quite a bit to our work on equity. You know, equity is our foundation. How are we making sure all students have these opportunities? IIE, of course, also provides us with the very rich open doors data, yeah. which helps all of us make the case for doing this work. Um, and I think NAFSA, of course, um, they are doing the work looking a lot at mobility mm -hmm. and how, you know, how are students coming? How are students going? And they're doing a bit in the learning space. And I think we've collaborated in those areas. Yeah. But I think we all have a role to play. Um, also, I would add the Forum on Education Abroad. Right. Um, and Diversity the, Abroad. Yeah, diversity Abroad. The, both of those are other organizations. Mobility International. I'm interviewing yeah. Andrew and... and I'm interviewing two folks from those organizations tomorrow. Okay, excellent. <laughs> so, I mean, so I think they, you know, I think Diversity Abroad and, and we've done some collaboration with Andrew again, because for us, it's about making sure all students have access to these high quality practices to make mm -hmm. sure that they get a quality experience. Um, the Forum on Education Abroad, working with them to look at, you know, what's actually happening. You know, the Forum, of course, provides wonderful standards. So as people are developing programs, they can say, okay, what are the standards if we're developing a pro an international program, what are the things that we should have in place? So I think we complement each other yeah. in terms of what we do. Um, so I don't see a lot of replication. I see we all are playing different roles and they're complementary roles. Yeah, and I would bring in ACE, right? Because Absolutely. there's the model for the comprehensive lab. Yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that model and and the curriculum and co-curriculum being yes. that keystone right in the middle, mm -hmm. right? And that right. seems to be kind of the the space where AACNU really thinking about course design, student learning design, exactly. right? Exactly. getting into the nitty gritty. Of exactly. It. Assessment of student learning. So yeah. we've got all these students, you know, let's say we've got all these students who are doing study away, study abroad, interactive video conferencing or COIL and undergraduate research. But how do we know that they're learning anything? Yeah. And that's where we, you know, I think we really thrive in that space as and, well. And I'll bring in, you know, a new organization that I've become involved in, even though I've been doing professional development since the beginning of the Global Learning Initiative, I didn't find the Professional and Organizational Development Network right. mm -hmm. until just a few years ago. Yeah. yeah, And it's such an exciting network and conference, and there's a lot of space to talk more about yeah. internationalization Absolutely. In, in the pod network. I, I wanted to bring that up with you because I will say personally, in the work that we that I've done, I have gotten something mm -hmm. from all of these organizations, right. and we've had a lot of support from our particular institution to allow us to to take part 
in all of these leadership organizations, Mm -hmm. to go to the conferences, to make presentations, to engage with the leadership. And it's been so helpful Mm -hmm. for us. And yet I could see how organizations or excuse me, institutions that are at the very beginning of this process would not know where to turn first. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. You know? Yes. Like, yeah. where do I go first? Right. And I think it's super helpful what you just mentioned about, uh, you know, the relationship amongst the this constellation of organizations mm-hmm. that are here to help us. Right. 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 In, in make global learning our own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so th- uh, thinking about AAC and you, I'm thinking about like. What's on the horizon, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm, I'm curious about um, the organization and where you are interested in leading mm-hmm. um, in the next couple of next year and the next five years. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have anything to share with us about that, yeah. Well, one one area I think in particular, and we're in the second year of a three year project um, with the Interfaith Youth Corps on interfaith. Um, engagement. And this is a a project that has been generously funded by the Arthur Vining Davis Educational Foundations. And what we have been doing is we have worked, we've got 20 institutions now, and they have been looking at um, integrating interfaith engagement in curriculum and in co-curriculum, making connections between the interfaith work and diversity, equity, and inclusion, and also looking at how this work connects to broader global learning. Um, which some people may think, well, that's a no-brainer. Um, but oftentimes those connections aren't necessarily made. And so we, as I said, we've been working with 20 institutions that are developing different projects and programs. And so that's one area where we're really hoping to start sharing more of what those institutions are finding out and doing. Wow. Um, one thing that's very a very simple example um, not simple to do, but but a simple example is uh, one institution, well, three that we've been working with, um, University of Miami, uh-huh. um, Concordia College, and, and Denver University. Sorry, University of Denver. I always get confused because they say DU. Yeah. University of Denver, they have worked on a project starting with, with Denver to develop holiday fact sheets, which may seem very simple, but where faculty, staff, and others can get information on holidays more than just, okay, this is the Jewish New Year, mm-hmm. but what is the mood of the holiday? You know, how might my um, students, how might this affect students' work? Do students need to go somewhere? Do students, you know, should they participate in activities? What is the mood of the holiday? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they are working on an app that will be available in the Apple Store where you can integrate all of these holidays on your calendar in less than 12 minutes. So that a campus could say, you know, we're not going to schedule this event on this day because we know it is this particular holiday. Or if they do, they could say, we apologize for the inconvenience this may cause. We realize this is the first day of, you know, Diwali, but we are going to do. So it it is something that touches global perspectives because we've got global holidays. These are holidays that are celebrated around the globe. Um, But it's also practical. Because yeah. sometimes we don't know what to do or we don't know what to say. Someone says, oh, you know, I'm celebrating this particular holiday. And you don't know, do you say happy? You know, yeah, <laughs> you know do yeah. you say, you know, and this is just like a, they've developed these wonderful tools that will make it very easy for faculty to decide. So, you know, on this holiday, I spend the day at this religious facility all day or I spend the day at home, you know, so yeah. that people have an idea. Not to say that students won't do anything, but just so that people have a better idea. So that's just one example of some of the work coming out of this interfaith 
project. And I'm looking forward to sharing more and seeing more that these institutions are developing. I, I, I'm reminded when you mentioned that um, of a couple of things. First is an interview that um, I had in the season one with John Bushman, who teaches mm. in the hospitality mm -hmm. um, school at FIU. And he said, you know, in my course, I have students learn to say, hello, how are you? In like 40 different languages yes. as part of it. Just as the way to open the door yes. to a deeper conversation, mm -hmm. right? To establish some trust, uh, some respect, um, and then I'm thinking about a conversation I just had with Tara Harvey oh, yes. about the relationship between intercultural communication mm -hmm. and global learning. Because yes. we're talking about in global learning, getting to a point where students in personal, professional, scholarly, civic spaces are making connections amongst diverse perspectives to understand and, and, and create solutions. Exactly. But you can't make those connections with those other perspectives until you establish some basic communication exactly <laughs> capacity exactly if, if you'll indulge me this reminds me you know i'm always i feel like i'm always a teacher at heart um yeah and this reminds me when i had a course based in kenya with my students we we had kiswahili lessons two nights a week throughout the course of our program so they could be polite so yeah. that it could open doors in different places with them and the students got it they understood why it was important they didn't say oh why do we have to have this hour lesson of kiswahili after we've been in our service that all day yeah they wanted it because yeah. they realized the importance and how that may make the difference between someone being open to talking with them about other issues mm -hmm. just because they made that effort. So I, yeah. I think it's tremendous going back to making connections with people. And it's a bit of a chicken and an egg thing mm -hmm. because when we say, okay, we want all these students to learn languages. Well, why, why do you want to learn a language? Because you want to connect with someone. Exactly. So if we start with the language mm -hmm. learning, we might not be able to engage our students effectively because they don't see mm -hmm. like the purpose. They don't have a motivating, a modus operandi. Mm -hmm, they don't have a mm -hmm. motivating um, factor of I desire mm -hmm. to get to know and connect with others. So maybe we could, maybe we start with kind of that global learning space, having students reflect on what worked and what didn't. And that, hmm, if I knew some of the basics of this person's language. If I knew, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit more about their holidays, I wouldn't have stepped on some toes. Right. It's, it's, it, I, it is a, it's a kind of a conundrum. It, it is. And I think, you know, not to let the practical get in the way of this philosophical conversation, but I think it also comes down, and this is what I, I, I've been talking to a number of faculty about at different institutions is is what is included in the curriculum. Yeah. And as institutions are being encouraged by their state legislatures or others to streamline curriculum. Yeah. Is there room for language? Despite the fact that we think there should be room, you know, if you're told that you can, you know, you students need to graduate with 180 credit hours. I, that's just a, you know, a, a random number. Um, and institutions start saying, okay, well, we can cut language. You know, I, I think that's the other challenge is getting, you know, so that people are understanding the value of language earlier. Yes. And how do we ensure that that it's an option? But I think it, it's a, a definitely a, a challenge I'm seeing at a number of institutions. That's a story that of our institutions. Students. Yeah, they want students to take languages, but we've been told we have to cut this down. And there's too much in the in the content area. We can't add, you know, Exactly. And I think some are overcoming, you know, some are offering different options, uh, you know, uh, Spanish for healthcare professionals, Spanish for 
educators or mm-hmm. things like that, Spanish for heritage speakers. And I'm just using Spanish. That know, is this exactly could be for all the what languages. we're doing. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the other challenge. And, you know, of course, the, the K-12 piece and our ACTPOL colleagues can speak to that um, quite a bit. But I think that is the other challenge with languages. If then you tell a student it's not part of the requirement, then they go on one of these experiences. They're like, this is great. I wish I knew more. Exactly. You know, I think that's a, a challenge. It is. And trying to figure out these, like, as you just said, some kind of more creative and just-in-time learning opportunities Mm -hmm. for students. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yes, we do know that the most effective time to learn a language is at the very young ages, but we just had a Global Learning Medallion graduate yesterday or two nights ago. She's 49 years old. She just came back for her bachelor's degree. She got involved with paper airplanes Hmm. and, and she, I'll put a link to that organization. And through that, she did some teaching English as a second language tutoring. And through paper airplanes, she's now learning Arabic. Excellent. I mean, we can do it, but Mm -hmm. it is a kind of a just in time thing for her because she's a a professional, she's married, she's a parent, she's, and she's a student. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she does all of these volunteering. So she needs to be able to learn language online at night, Mm -hmm. right? right? So um, how can we fold into um, whatever efforts we have for making global learning available to all, Mm -hmm. those alternative pathways for students to learn what they need to do and meeting students where they are with their Mm -hmm. circumstances? Right. Yeah, I think University of Florida has developed a couple of really interesting online language programs as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can, um, I'll try to get access to that from uh, Paloma Rodriguez. Yes. Um, I was at Interface, one of their big events, and I met with a couple of the the language faculty who had developed these really innovative ways of doing online learning where students had tutors that were available um, at hours that weren't traditional. Right. So they could connect with other, with native language speakers. And I mean, it was a really interesting, so I'll see if I can get that information to share And very as well. effective. Very, very effective. I think I saw a presentation at the, at the oh, Global Citizenship okay. Okay, maybe co- Conference okay. <laughs> in San Antonio. <laughs> that must have been it, I yeah. think I was there okay. and Paloma was there. Okay. And yes, there was, there were, there were coaching. Yes. I mean, it was amazing. I was able to talk to two of the students who had gone through the experience oh. and it was so powerful to hear them talk about how different that experience was compared to some experiences they'd had earlier in their educational years with language. So it was really awesome. powerful. I love it. Mm-hmm. So, so that seems like an opportunity that mm-hmm. we have to, to make global learning effect, um, accessible yes. and effective, of course, um, but accessible to all is finding really creative ways through, whether it be digital badging, that's like the new hot thing that everybody's right. talking about, but you know, meeting students just in time learning so that's like the opportunity. So if I were to ask you, because you are in a very unique uh, place, right? Mm-hmm. So we're we're in this conference room. We're scanning the the skyline here. We have this great view above uh, Miami. So you, your position, your vantage point in a national organization with international connections. Mm-hmm. Are there, from your vantage point, some strengths, some weaknesses, some threats to making global learning universal that we who are like in the weeds Mm -hmm. should be attending to? Yeah, I I think the one threat, and I think this is something that 
um, we, this is not going to be surprising to anyone, but is the perception that some have that this is frivolous, this is extra. Mm -hmm. Global learning is something that only a few students need, as opposed to the reality that this is something that all of our students need. Um, I think that that threat in some places is diminishing because people realize, no, this is reality. And if you never leave your state, you need these skills. Mm -hmm. If you never leave the country, you need these skills. But I think that's a serious threat in some places is making clear the case and value for this for your local community. Mm -hmm. um, Paige Turner is the, the Dean of Communications at Ball State University. And I've heard her say this so eloquently that we do a great job of talking to the state legislature, or we try to, we do a great job of talking to parents and students, but some institutions really struggle with telling people in the community why we are focused on this, this engagement with the world, if you will, and why we are focused on global learning. And so I think that's one way to help overcome it, mm -hmm. um, is to let people know that contrary to what you may be reading or thinking in certain you know, uh, venues or spaces, this is something that we all need. But I think it's that perception that this is frivolous, this is extra. Mm -hmm. You know, I've said this time and time again, it's sort of like, you know, when students come to orientation and there are certain things that we tell them, you know, we may say at some institutions, everyone is going to have a service experience. Civic engagement is important. Um, everyone is going to, you know, do have a test. You know, mm -hmm. testing is something that we do here or something, mm -hmm. but we don't mention the importance of global engagement. And if that is mentioned from the beginning, then it gets on the radar of students, of parents, even in the recruitment visits. Mm -hmm. Internships, I think people are familiar with, you know, you know, we're, we're moving to the model where they can be paid and understanding why it's a challenge. But I think if we communicate this clearly to future students, to current students, and our local communities, I think that helps with that particular threat. Admissions and recruiting exactly. has told us mm -hmm. that we are like the number one selling point. The Global Learning Initiative is the number one selling point for students who might be considering from different parts of the state, mm -hmm. from out of state, and also students that previously wouldn't consider FIU. It's, it's very that, exciting. I think that's excellent. And there's like an international organization of admissions and recruiting, yes. and they're gonna be at FIU in 2021. And next week, we have, an inter we have a meeting with them to think about what will that event mm -hmm. be like because global learning is has been so important for FIU and it's part of our our identity we've got to have it be part of that event exactly so I'm excited I think that's excellent and, and about that. that should be the case for other institutions that if this is really part of what you think is important and what you believe all your students need to do then it has to be right there for recruiting recruitment retention all of these factors yeah yeah, absolutely. yeah. I, I love that yeah I think that's great um so I think that's a a potential threat um in terms of opportunities, I almost say the same thing. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, all you have to do is read the newspaper, you know, yeah. or, or read, you know, yeah. online news. I mean, there are so many opportunities for students, not just for workforce development, but engagement with their communities. I mean, there are so many opportunities why this work is so important and critical. Um, you know, I, I cite the employer data that we have at AACNU all the time where employers want students who are able to work with people whose views are different from their own, who have different experiences from their own. They want students that have intercultural competence. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's absolutely critical. So it's a huge opportunities for, for opportunity for students to come out and not say, 
oh, you know, I think I would be able to do this, but no, I've actually done it. Um, you, you mentioned IIE, and I'm still struck by a, a statement. Um, I've forgotten his name. He was the head of Pirelli Tires, mm. and he spoke at the first generation study abroad conference uh, that was in DC, I think it was three years ago. And, you know, he said the same thing. He said, when we're hiring, we want to see that a student has already done that experience where they studied abroad in Germany for three weeks. So they studied abroad for three months, but either way, they want to see that experience because when they hire them, there's going to be an expectation that they say, oh, we actually need you to go work at our factory in this country. Yeah. And if they've already done it during their undergraduate experience, they'll be likely to do it again or if they're able to include in their statement. You know, I worked on this project with four other people, you know, they may have been from different fields, different disciplines, but if they say that they've done that, then they're prepared. They say, oh, you know, we're not going to have to train this person yeah. for what it's like in this international industry. Exactly, that uh -huh. is exactly why we integrated COIL, Collaborative yes. Online International Learning, yes. because we knew we were only ever going to get so far with study abroad, internships exactly. abroad. I mean, that's not to say, we had Global Learning Medallion students graduating the other day. They've studied abroad four times. Yes, yes. But most, the vast majority will never be able to for whatever reason. So right. how do we engage with people who are seated in another part of the world? And I mean, like, I think it's twofold because we just saw the open doors data. It's still 10%, yeah. still 10%. Yeah. Um, and even those students, so the 90% that don't, yeah. but even those that are going to study abroad, these yes. collaborative online international experiences prepare them too. Yeah. So it's not, you know, sometimes people say, oh, it's just a, an alternative for those that can't. No, no, it's a powerful practice that when created well, Yes. You know, we see the impact. The students yes. are making the gains. Yes. So it's not, you know, a, a an inferior option, which I've heard some people say. And I said, well, I don't know how you crafted the experience because that's what, that's exactly. what this is and about. Who's to say just because you go <laughs> to another country that you're actually going to get a meaningful interaction where you do the collaboration and the connection making. Right, where you're actually solving problems. You yeah, know, you're things. like yeah. having to negotiate difference. Exactly, exactly. Um, Beyond just like how do I get to this other part of town right. to go have this meal, to go to the, exactly. that's not to say that these aren't right. great experiences, but there's something about, and this is where AAC and you lives, yes. right? Yes. There's something about the design of the yes. purposeful design of the learning experience. Exactly. And whether it's in the community, on campus, abroad, exactly. online. Right. But how you have designed the experience. So it is a quality experience where students can demonstrate their learning as opposed to just saying, Okay, I went, check. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, I, I think the other thing you said, a strength, I think a strength is that we have, we now have evidence at a variety of institutional types of the value of this work. Yeah. We have a number of institutions that have integrated this work into curriculum, that have integrated the curricular and co-curricular to show the power of connecting. Yeah, that's the, the two. That is where it's all at. You yeah. know, I, I think that is a strength that we have is highlighting these examples so that those who maybe aren't there yet can see, no, this works. Like it's not just as you said, we're not just saying there's something magical <laughs> by yeah. saying you did a global experience. No, we can show you evidence of the power of these types of experiences mm -hmm. and I think that is is the biggest strength right now is to show the value of this work um, NAFSA often does a, a wonderful job of showing the impact the financial impact of oh international students on campuses huge and for many people that's what they have to see mm -hmm. and so they have to see oh oh this finance you know this 
this much money came into our state, you know, not the national data, but how it impacts Iowa. I was just at University of Iowa and we were looking at the financial impact of international students. We looked at the financial impact of international companies, you know, that were in, in, in Iowa. Um, and I think we also need to do the same thing with the power of global learning. Mm -hmm. And we need to show people the power of this, how this impacts student learning, how this impacts their pathways to jobs, mm -hmm. how this impacts their overall learning and their success on campus. Does participating in certain types of programs increase student belonging? Where is that type of data that we can share and show the value? And I think we have it there. We just need to do perhaps in some cases, a better job of showcasing the impact of this work. Yeah, and telling the story and really, yes. you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be numbers. It can, in fact, numbers sometimes aren't the most appealing and, and motivating. It's the stories. Exactly. And you have to hear these stories. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the key. I think that's uh, definitely a strength that we have. Dawn, I often um, end our conversations, which I don't want to end because this has been so fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> and me, and me. <laughs> um, with just asking if you have any like resources, any books, experiences, films, reports, like anything that you want to recommend to listeners that might kind of increase their connection or understanding of what global learning is all about, mm -hmm. their global awareness, perspective engagements, anything that you want to just say, you got to check this out. Yeah, there's so many. Um, <laughs> so one, I, I would say, without appearing self-serving, is to take a look at AACNU's website, yeah. quite honestly, and take a look at the global learning value rubric. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of rich information there that can shape some of this work. Mm -hmm. um, we also have a number of other global publications, Essential Global Learning, um, a couple of other pieces. There is a recent issue of peer review that focused on global learning. And I think yeah. that's another great resource. If you look on our website, you can find it there. Mm -hmm. um, I think the open doors data every year, I'm like everyone else wait, you know, eagerly yeah. waiting to see what the results are, yeah. um, especially looking at participation. You know, mm -hmm. are students of color participating at, at higher rates now than they were before? Are male students participating at higher rates, you know, in terms of study abroad? So I think that's important. Um, the NAFSA data that I yeah. mentioned about the impact of international students on campus. Um, I also would be remiss if I didn't mention Richard Kiley and the work that he has done on community-based learning, particularly community-based global learning. Mm -hmm. um, and he has a wonderful book that's called Community-Based Global Learning. He, Eric Hartman and others wrote that oh, yeah. book. And I think that is an excellent resource because not only does it talk about the framing of this work, not only does it integrate power and privilege in the work, but it also gives great models for reflection including, yep. you know, the, uh, Patty Clayton's work, The Deal Model, which I used frequently when I was leading global service learning programs. And Patty, that, that model is phenomenal. And it can be used for many types of global learning. It can be used for, um, you know, uh, just everything. There's so many opportunities um, with that. So I think those are some things in particular that I think it's really, really important. And those are, are excellent resources to use. Um, I think there are a couple of articles, and I will try to get the links to you. Mm -hmm. This is one in particular. It may not seem global learning focused, but it's out of WPI. Mm -hmm. And so Worcester Polytechnic, they have written a couple of articles, a couple of faculty there about putting together teams 
and, and equitable teams and how you teach students to work together um, oh, in effective yeah. ways. They've done a lot of work on um, ensuring women are integrated and and are equal partners in teaming, for a lack of a better phrase. Yeah. And some of those articles are so powerful and can be applicable in the setting that we've talked about in you know bringing together uh, diverse groups of people together. I think some of those articles would be particularly useful. Have you read um, Learning to Collaborate, Collaborating to Learn yet? No. Okay. Okay. I, I need to add that. Yeah, you got to okay. add that. Oh, I'm gonna okay. we'll we'll link that too. Okay. Because where. Um, First of all, I concur with like all the resources that you mentioned. Those are all like hot links for me too. Those mm -hmm. are on speed dial. Um, uh, where you were talking about WPI's work around designing teamwork, yes, right. Mm -hmm. So this book, learning to collaborate, collaborating to learn, um, is all around designing collaboration, mm -hmm. right? So how do you design the project itself? Okay. How do you design the assignment? and the roles students might play in order to create actual collaboration where students will have to make connections amongst their ideas to take parts of their ideas and put them together into new ideas. Mm. Yeah, that, does, that doesn't just happen. No, no. You know, like happenstance. It's not just because we're gonna give a group project. But the cool thing about this Two things. One, there are pictures. Okay, like she draws it so you can see the difference between sequential collaboration and simultaneous collaboration. Yes. I hope that wet your appetite. So, with, like, yeah. what are those two different designs and how does that work? And she draws a picture of it, Ooh. but also she makes it really clear that you can take the projects that you already have mm -hmm. and make these very small but mighty tweaks ah. to the design. Mm -hmm. Just yesterday, some a, a professor sent me a project, and he said it's going to be like a group paper, a group PowerPoint. And I could see immediately, this isn't going to necessarily get to what this person wants. He wants diversity he, in the project. That's what the assignment is. Like, show, tell me about diverse points of view right. in this paper that you're going to do as a group. But unfortunately, if we just tell students that... We get the free rider problem. Yes. We mm -hmm. get, we don't get. So, just a couple tweaks that I got from that book, and also from the WPI stuff okay. mm -hmm. about roles and teaming. Yes, and he doesn't have to change his project. Right, right. Just those little tweaks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, this! I just want to thank you. <laughs> thank you <laughs> so much for spending time with me today but um the reason why i'm where we're able to spend time is because you're here to plan the next fantastic global citizenship <laughs> for campus community and career conference which will be right here in miami florida in october of 2021 so that's the hot link i want to give to our listeners yes, please do join us <laughs> please join us it is among my favorite conferences uh, and and the same for everyone that I know that is that has attended. Thank you. Well, we keep trying to do it, and we keep trying to engage more people because it's really a conference where we love the conversation about this work. So thank exactly. you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Making Global Learning Universal. This podcast is brought to you by FIU's Office of Global Learning Initiatives. Media Technology Services, and our Disability Resource Center. 
You can find all our episodes, show notes, transcripts, and discussion guides on our webpage, globallearningpodcast.fiu.edu. And if this episode was meaningful to you, please share it with colleagues, friends, and students. You can even give it a rating on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in and for all you do to make global learning universal.